podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. is already over this is the buzz podcast and we are covering the long night game of thrones season eight episode three and i have my game of thrones panel with me well it's always ever changing but we do have scott chandler writer and podcaster on anfield index and buzz now as well welcome back scott Thank you. I took a few weeks off like Melisandre, but I'm back for the big episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, just, you know, you're this old crusty woman. That'll be lovely to see. Not. And we also have the main man. He is the guest on Buzz. It is Jessel. How are you doing, Jessel? At Jessel TV on Twitter. I'm good, Gags. Thanks. How are you? I'm, I'm buzzing. It's Buzz. We're doing, we're doing another podcast. There's something to buzz about. It's a massive, massive week. We just, Covered the Endgame, um, you know, uh, movie, uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, Jessel, and that's been getting some really good stuff, really good feedback. So, uh, very, very, very happy with that. And, uh, yeah, wow. yeah. And it's just an epic week, isn't it? It's um, been epic. Yeah. I'm so glad Liverpool won as well. It just made it all so good. You know, everything went our way in terms of uh, us winning. Obviously, nothing went our way in terms of the city, but at least we kept on the pressure and that's what we have to do. But this isn't about football. This is about Game of Thrones. Um, first things first, remember, folks, this is full spoilers. Like I said, winter is all already over. So um there is spoilers galore. Please do not carry on listening to this show if you haven't seen Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night, because you will be disappointed. We are going to spoil the shit out of it. Um, first things first, after that sh- that show, that episode, what was the overriding feeling? Uh, let's not go into the show too much just yet, but what was the overriding feeling when it finished? Um, let's go with Scott first. I think mine was actually exhaustion. Uh, we... <laughs> My wife and I watched it with a couple of our friends, and we all four of us had actually gone and seen Endgame earlier in the afternoon. So oh we went God. Endgame, hour break, Game of Thrones. Wow. And I think we were just emotionally spent because when you watch an episode like that, you know, the best Game of Thrones episodes, you know, they're so intense. You're on the edge of your seat, and it just, it's, it's taxing. So by the end of it, it was just, I mean, you could barely move. I mean, it was so crazy. It was end to end action the whole time. But yeah, we were just, we were just, we could barely move. It was like we were paralyzed at the end of that episode. It was certainly taxing, um, Jessel. And I think this is probably a good point to really air your frustrations before we get into the rest of the episode, because there's so much good that we need to cover. Let's get rid of the, the bits that are bad. But firstly, what was your overriding feeling at the end when you finished it? Uh, my feeling was, um, I think I had this sort of tension building through my body as the episode went on. And then it was just this kind of release uh, once the episode finished, because I thought the last half an hour was just fantastic. And and I just left really satisfied after that particular section. 
and uh, and there was a lot to digest. So I just sat there thinking about it. Went immediately on Twitter and looked at all the spoilers and stuff, all, all everyone's thoughts, and uh, and then I've just been digesting it for the rest of the day. But I definitely had one very serious issue with the episode. Um, do you want me to get into it now? Absolutely, mate. Let's do it. Let's talk about it now because then we don't have to mention it ever again in this podcast. Okay. <laughs> now, I know not everyone had this issue, um, but many, many people did. And um, it, it's a very simple one that basically it was so dark that I couldn't tell what was going on from about 10 minutes onwards when the war scene starts properly until about 50, 52 minutes. So there's about half an hour left. That section was just drowned in darkness and when i mean darkness i mean literally there were points where i just didn't know what was happening and and the screens were the screen was kind of blurred around the edges and the natural light was there with no kind of additional light and i genuinely didn't know what's going on now i'll just break this down i've seen it three times now so i looked first i was watching on my phone so okay fine you could say okay it was on a phone whatever full brightness whatever next i watched it on my tv streaming through a playstation um, on now tv finally i thought okay fine some people have complained maybe it's a compression issue so i i watched it on sky tv on a huge like samsung tv oled blah 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 and exactly the same thing so i'm not quite sure i think people are having different experiences like gag said he had no issues one of my friends had no issues i mean i i don't know what was going on but on twitter that was the biggest complaint it wasn't about the storyline or the narrative or the characters or the action it was just initially about what is going on here so i, I did investigate it as the day went on and it does seem like it was the director of photography made this decision just to night light everything as naturally as possible but i think it spectacularly backfired for a lot of people I mean, I watched it again and again, and I just didn't know what was going on for sections of, of um, that, in particular, the sort of first three quarters of the fight scene. And um, yeah, I just think that was unforgivable, really. I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of melodramatic, but I've been looking forward to this, literally this episode for, you know, years and years now. And for me to not know what's happening, Gags is going to say stuff, Scott's going to say stuff, I, and I would have missed it. I genuinely would have missed it. No, but so there, it, there was nothing like that to miss. There was nothing like that to miss. This is... All they were trying to get across here was that it's pitch black, right? It's dark. They are giving you aerial shots as well of what is impending, what's going on. But when you're in it, they're just showing you scenes of people ramming into each other. How crazy it is. Some of your heroes pulling out their swords and just chopping people's heads off. And it's cutscene after cutscene after cutscene. There is nothing else there. It is just... It's like going and watching a war movie. They are just trying to show you how it would be if you were in it. There is nothing else to see. There is no storytelling happening. The only story is that they're getting overpowered. That is it. And they're fighting them off or trying to. There is nothing else to talk about in the, in that part. It is just intense. Oh shit. Someone's going to die. Oh shit. Someone's going to die. Who's going to die? Oh shit. Brienne's in trouble. No. Um, Jamie just saved her. Oh shit. This guy's in trouble. Oh, thank God he just saved her or whatever. That is it. Uh, maybe Ed dying is the big scene at the start in there where he saves Sam and then he gets shot. But that's very clearly visible to see on screen. There was no problem with that. Now, if you don't see that bit where Ed dies, then I would say you just need to mess about with your brightness settings because honestly, I watched it again just now and it was clear as day. The, the only thing that's going, and then when they shoot out from the bird's eye view, 
It's beautiful. You just see these hordes of dead come in. And I think they, they really put across so much in these opening scenes. It was, it was, it was unreal. I personally thought it was unreal. Uh, Scott, I don't know whether you agree with anything I've just said there, but where you sit on this side of the debate. I hate to split the baby, but I'm kind of in between both. I mean, I understand what Jessel is saying because I, I think it's a poor idea when you're trying to tell a story when people can't see it. I mean, we, we've seen battles in the show at different, you know, Battle of the Blackwater was at night and you could still see the important parts. And yeah, it's different lighting, things like that. But then we've also seen other battles like Hard Home involving the White Walkers that are the, the, the cinematography is simply stunning. It's it was the best the they had done up to this point. It's not in darkness. It's on the darkness, but it's you not can the long it, or, night or, or either. Th- or, or think about the suffocation. You See, know, the thing is, if you, if, you, if you do a long night episode and you have lighting in there, right? It is honestly, you would just somebody would come out in here and say afterwards, "How the fuck was there so much light in the darkness?" Well, yeah, it's at night, it's in the darkness, but I think that's, and that was one of the cool parts when they lit up all the Dorthraki, you know, arcs, the swords, and then they took off. I mean, that, like you're talking about the bird's eye view, it was, it was beautiful, and it was kind and, of cool. And, I mean, it, dude, when you watch it back, they shoot back to it literally every minute to the bird's eye to give you that shot of what's going on. They do some, but it's, it's, and I understand it's supposed to be disorienting. It's supposed to be the heat of battle. Madness, and, yeah. Like, yeah well, we, we thought our TV sick. was like, when we were watching it, it was almost like we were watching a 3D movie without glasses on sometimes because some yeah. parts were in focus and yes. some parts were yes. blurry. And I, I get that part, but it, 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 so maybe it's just a difference of style. But I mean, I miss, I, I didn't miss anything. I saw all the major beats, but like another part of it, you know, when the three dragons are up in the clouds and they're going up and down and it was intense, it was awesome, it was what we wanted to see. But it was confusing because, you know, it is dark. You're who, which dragon is who? And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of, yeah. you know, the, the, the first the style viewing of that it. was tough. So, the first viewing that was the second viewing. It's much clearer because Viserion's just got a totally different voice when he's coming. You know, it's he's got a totally different sound, not voice, whatever the noise he makes. It's totally different. So and also it was it was clear to me second time round when watching it first time is a haze because you're just like so tense, like you said. But the second time around, I just watched it, or third, I kind of watched it in slow-mo pretty much, like I was doing the Liverpool pressing. Um, and it was just like, it was, it was, it was clearer in the dragon bits. Those were the hard bits, definitely. Uh, uh, when, the, when they, it was just so when they did the snowstorm that really messed up the, the dragon stuff, I thought. It did, yeah. And like Scott was saying, it was very confusing to see what was happening with, with the dragons. I mean, I, I had no idea if one of them had... I thought one of them had died, actually. Rhaegar, um, yeah. Everybody thought that because we didn't see him. Like, yeah, that was left very no unclear. Yeah. Really was. And I mean, to that end, I also thought I also thought Sam had died, to be honest. I mean, there was the five minutes where I was like, yeah, Sam just died. <laughs> you know, because I couldn't see what was going on. Like what you were saying about Ed getting killed. Yeah, you could see that clearly. You could see Jorah getting killed, all that kind of stuff. Fine. Mm. But... In terms of, I have to say that you cannot just dismiss someone's opinion like that because so many people have complained on Twitter and they're exactly the same boat as I am. So if, if like literally, I'm sure there must be millions of people watching this who, who were really confused by what, what was going on. And also, I made, I made this point on Twitter. If you're visually impaired and you're trying to watch that episode of Game of Thrones, you've got no chance. I mean, you would literally have to have like an audio description. You couldn't actually see what was going on for vast chunks of it. And I, I just think that that comes down to decision making of 
I get what Gags is saying completely in terms of, you know, it is dark and it's naturally lit and that's what it should be. But it doesn't make for a compelling audience um, viewing for me personally if I can't see what's going on. Like my relations to the characters within this episode for a large chunk of it were non-existent because I was like, oh, look, there's like, you know, Brienne and Jamie and, and the other one. I don't know what the hell they're doing. I didn't know what the mountain, I didn't know what the hound was actually doing. I couldn't tell who that was for half of it because it was sober and things like that. That wow, kind of just. really? You know, yeah, it, but it was that dark and blocky it's i'm telling you a lot of people have had exactly the same See, thing it's, i don't it's... think i don't think you were meant to feel anything in that first 40 minutes for anyone i think it's just it's trying to give you just how fucked this is the situation is that is it it gets to storytelling after in terms of when they get into the castle is when it all goes that's when you want to, that's when you can see what's going on whatever but outside it's all about just the war just it's just mayhem bedlam craziness like like you've never seen before and obviously like you're saying you've never seen because you don't watch interestingly (laughs) interestingly i think that the way they lit aria throughout the episode there were no issues (laughs) and it's really weird because this is basically aria's episode i would say like her and melisandre those are the two kind of central characters aria only gets into it at the end that that last 35 minutes no no she she's through it throughout she she has dealings with melisandre she kicks ass in the actual war like properly so she goes into the library she goes everything's inside though in it that's why everything's inside with fire on it's all Lit yeah, up there. But, That's different, yeah. isn't it? Your because your main contention point is the battle, really, basically outside, which is what nobody could see, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and like I say, up until about fifty minutes, and then from fifty minutes onwards, um, it. it it all changes basically and it gets much better and you can see what's going on. And obviously gradually the dawn is breaking anyway by the end of it. So, um, well, when they lit but, the trench, it changed everything. I think yeah. everybody was just happy for the fire. Everybody was happy that Melisandre came and turned the lights on. I think that made a big difference for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I don't want to go on about it too much because, you know, we want to get into the meat of the episode, but I mean, I have to say it's, it's, it's a complaint that many, many people have had. I'm sure a lot of the listeners would have the same thing. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting that it seems to have been an actual, like, active di- direction, um, uh, from the, the DOP to, to sort of light it that darkly. Um, which I, I don't know, just for me, it didn't work on, on like a sort of, you know, a practical or, or an uh, aesthetic level, but, but I'm sure like other people will have different reactions. I um, loved it. I, I thought it was perfect. I think it brought across darkness. This is, this is a horror. This is a horror movie. This is where if you're in this battle, this is what it's going to be like. You don't know what's going to be going on. People that are fighting in it are just all over the place. This is exactly what it would be like. Um, like when you're watching Saving Private Ryan, it is fucking, I mean, luckily that was in the light, but it's crazy. It's like, feels like a war. It feels like, what the fuck? I'm sitting right in the middle of it. Um, and this one, you, you feel like, oh my God, it is, things are brushing past your face so fast. Duh, 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 duh. Like, like uh, Scott was saying, it's just like big blurs at times because there's so many people running past the camera here and there that it's just like, what the fuck? But the whole point is to try and get you into the feel that this isn't normal. This isn't normal. This is, this is bedlam and it's manic. Personally, that's how it came across to me. So I kind of went with it and enjoyed it. I thought it was, I honestly thought, I mean, let's go straight to the starting. Um, and how they portray the fear, uh, Jessel of every character or at least maybe half the cast. I think in the opening scenes when they're just walking around the camera, just going round Winterfell. And they're just panning across separate characters. You can see everyone's really shitting themselves. 
I loved it. And in combination with the music, I have to say the score in this episode oh, was unbelievable. The end score, we'll get there, is just yeah. the best. We'll get to the end one, but the initial one was kind of like this kind of 80s one, like kind of Scarface kind of thing. It had this these sort of like electronic do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And, and like the tension, like you said, there's a tracking shot, you know, Tyrion's in it, and then uh, the little Mormont girl is in it, and then there's a few others. I think Theon's there as well. And it just kind of followed, follows them around. It doesn't make a big deal of it, but you start getting this sense of, after last week's episode where everyone's sitting around talking and, you know, or having sex or whatever, this one suddenly you're like, <laughs> okay, this is real. This is real now. And, and yeah. this is minutes away and oh, sugar, you know. Um, and, and Tyrion's reaction is really interesting because he really w- wants to be in the thick of it mm. and he feels this. So, um, so yeah, I mean, what did you guys think of Tyrion like in, in that first few minutes? Because he was frustrated. Yeah, go for it. Scott, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you saw some of her reactions in the beginning, and then you kind of saw them mirrored later in his conversations with people in the crypts. I mean, it, it kind of dovetails with what he was talking about in the second episode. He felt that he should be out there. I mean, he, in his mind, he thinks back to Blackwater. He made a difference. Yeah, he suffered a serious injury and things like that, but he made a difference. But it's kind of what Gags was talking about. This is a different type of war. I mean, that was a conventional war between two armies. This is very much the horror elements. These are hordes of undead creatures coming at you in swarms. And I, I thought the tension, like you said, that they built it well by the going into the individual characters. And then when Melisandre comes out and lights the swords and then the Dothraki take off up until that moment when everything dims and all the lights go out, I thought that was the best use of the whole show with the darkness. When all those lights go out and you just get this reaction of, Oh shit. Uh, they, that is such a huge setback because obviously those rack a huge part of the army. And so for them to lose them like that within the snap of a fingers, there's a real problem. So I thought the way they built the, the intensity and the tension to where, you know, you start to feel your heart beat in your chest or you stop breathing because you know, what's coming. And I thought that the way they, they strung it along until the, the horde finally comes up was, was pretty fantastic. Absolutely. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. The, 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 the Jessel, <laughs> what did you, what did you think when, uh, Melisandre turned up? And did you kind of like, you know, when she like, sets those things on fire, she's kind of like behaving like, you know, I'm the hero. I'm going to save the day. But, um, <laughs> it doesn't quite work out that way. But, um, she is a real main focus of this. Uh, let's say not focus, but she has major plot points in this episode, doesn't she? I, I think she is one of the major, yeah. major focuses. Like I said, I think her and Arya are the two kind of central ones. Like last week, you had kind of Brienne was one of the central ones with Jamie, and then this time, I think it's Arya and uh, mm. and Melisandre, which is a strange one because you know, like like everyone said, like she's where she's been off. She's just been off for a couple of years or something, basically, and and just suddenly she turns up. But this was always her plan. You know, she always knew. It's interesting because I've been re-watching the whole thing. So I've kind of reached recently about um, season six. So Melisandre has done the, the sort of shadiest stuff, basically, like mm. when she, she sets light to Shireen. Um, and after that point, and when she loses and brings Jon Snow back to life, which is a big thing, frankly, you know, she does actually help a lot after a certain point. Yeah. Then, then um, she's got this nervousness about her where she doesn't quite believe and she doesn't know what's going on. And here you see that, you know, when she's saying the Valyrian words over and over and they're getting closer, this is the later bit, but, you know, she, she does have this nervousness about her, but she wants to make a difference and she wants to kind of make amends and, and help. 
also i think i sort of read this point that the god that she serves is like the opposite god to who the white walkers effectively yeah. serve. so um so this is a big deal for her this is her big battle and anything she can do to help um is fun i mean just the visuals of her setting the doth thraki flames uh, swords of flame is just stunning absolutely stunning it didn't make a blind bit of difference but absolutely stunning and like scott was saying the visuals of when all those lights are extinguished that i mean that set terror into my heart like absolutely is, you're suddenly like oh my god this was not exactly a good exactly what i'm trying to get at they are all they are trying to do in that first 30 40 minutes for me is shit you up is to fucking really put the fear of god into all of you because they just want you to know you know what this is this is not going to go well for anybody. So you know, it's uh, personally when those lights went out, I just thought, hold on, the most savage, brutal army ever, ever, with flaming swords, just got wiped out in a matter of thirty seconds. So what does that tell you about the army that's about to hit you? It tells you everything. It tells you you're in deep shit. And they really, I think, Scott, get that, the facials from everybody on that front line. They get them. They nail them. I think they are. There's this old guy, isn't there? And he's just shit in his pants. Oh, yeah. I think he was one of the Veil soldiers. And yeah. he, you could just tell he's, I mean, it was kind of the <laughs> lethal weapon line. He was like, I'm too old for this shit. I mean, you can see it on his face. He was just not about that life. But, yeah, I mean, it was one of the best parts of the whole episode when the Dothraki go forward. But from a tactical perspective, I, again, I, we I talked about this before with John and, you know, he did some dumb stuff in the Battle of Bastards. I have no idea what they were thinking there. That was just bad idea genes. I mean, they should have been defensively, but you know, from a storytelling purposes and a visual purpose, it was, it was pretty cool in the way it dovetailed. But to go back to what Jessel said, yeah, I was really surprised with the impact that Melisandre had because she left in season seven saying mysteriously, I have to go back to Essos and I'll be back eventually to die. And we hadn't really heard much more than that. I mean, not to go into Endgame too much, but it was kind of like there were some characters in Endgame like Nebula that got a ton of screen time in Endgame. I had no idea that Melisandre was going to be such an important role, but she not only, you know, lit the sword, she lit the trench, you know, she played the Lord of Light role, but she helped get Arya's mind back on track and yeah. inspire the end part. So she had a huge impact on the show from start to finish in ways I don't think any of us really expected. It just set it all up nicely, I think, for the for what was to come. And I think they 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 perched John and Danny nicely upon the uh, ledge there um, um, to get that shot of fear as well. Jessel, they were they were sitting there watching those lights go out, and I think it really kicked Danny into gear to say. What the hell? Because obviously Sajora was with them. So, poor man, he survived a lot, didn't he, in this? I don't know how he survived, to be honest, because it is like... Um... Quite a few came back. It wasn't just him. There was a load running back. There were uh, some yeah, horses yeah. and guys running, and yeah. we don't know what happened to Ghost either. Ghost went out with Jorah, and I don't think we saw him the whole rest of the episode. So, But it, it's usually he... Game of Thrones. If you don't see them die, they didn't die. No, I, I think it was kind of weird. I think Ghost is alive. Yeah, I think I've seen the preview. I think he's in it. Yeah. Apparently. Okay. Yeah, next week. Um, but yeah, like Scott was saying, from a tactical point of view, is crazy. Um, but 
you know, from from visual point of view, beautiful. Jora, I don't know how he would have survived that, but I mean, he does he does rock the shit in this. Um, Melisandre, you know, she she really gets like Scott was saying, um, Arya. She she gets her mind, she gets Arya's sort of head in the game really. And then there's there's this heart back to when they met in season three, when there's this absolute repetition of what um, what. Melisandre said that, you know, your eyes are dark. There's this darkness within you and you will shut lots of eyes like blue, green and uh, brown. And, um, and it, the, the circularity of this episode with previous seasons is just beautiful. The way that they've done it, it, like it's things that you should have seen coming, I guess, but if you, you don't want to think about it too much because you want that surprise element. Um, and in terms of the battle, I mean, losing the Dothraki, it has to be said that if you're setting up for the next three episodes, which is going to be the real Game of Thrones, because this really is kind of nothing to do with Game of Thrones. This is just the actual kind of, you know, army of the dead kind of thing. But the actual who's going to sit on the Iron Throne. Danny is crippled now. She immediately, you know, before she had like the biggest army in history, effectively. And now after this, this is whole kind of like a plot device to really kind of level the playing field between them and Cersei. So I think the Dothraki, it was insane, but actually it kind of helps level things out for the next three episodes or, or you know, however the chips fall. So um, it, it was kind of a necessary evil. I see where they were going with that. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I thought they... they... How many people are left? Like it's unclear. Yeah. I mean, it was it's so really dark. How many, there's like six yeah. people left. <laughs> exactly, because at the have... end when they stand up, there's like you only see four people. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a handful of people, but they no, have all the main characters. Dragons. though, Scott, all the main characters arise apart from. That's true. That's true. I mean, we, had, you know, we had talked about going into the season. We thought I was going to die. I think you guys touched that on the last Buzz podcast, and I, it, that was what's made the episode so tense. Is you're like, okay, the Brienne is getting it here. Oh, oh, Grey Worm's getting it here. Uh, Drogon's getting here. I thought Drogon was toast when all the all the the whites jumped on top of him, but so many people survived. I mean, there were some tragic deaths, obviously, like Jorah and Lyanna Mormont. But yeah, I mean, it, I I think that beyond what we talked about before, the big controversy was: can you see the show? The other big controversy was: would the White Walkers be defeated now, or would it, you know would they kind of string it along? And a lot of people thought it would go to the end. I always thought that when we found out that the battle episode was going to be episode three. I just thought narratively it made sense deal with the White Walkers and then deal with the true villain who's Cersei just because, I mean, that's what the show is really about. Like Jessel said, this is about the Game of Thrones. Yeah. The political mm, stuff was mm, always the biggest thing. Issues. And the way they set it up, but I felt everything was earned. I mean, I, I, the way Arya did it was earned. You know, she had trained to be an assassin you know, when she drops her hand like that. And it was earned with Melisandre too. She was unexpected to be in the show but there was, like Jessel said, there was the callback to season three, or even Beric Dondarrion said last episode, this is the Lord of Light, this is his time, and the Lord of Light had a big impact. So I felt that narratively it still made sense. It, for me, there was no deus ex machina. It was everything made sense. It's just, you know, nobody can be pleased. Some people will be satisfied, some people no, won't. But I, I was. What about you, Gags? No, that's a massive point, and I want to get Jessel's uh, thoughts first. Um, I, I'm happy where we are. I think it's perfect. I think there's this could have dragged on too much and really hurt this hurt the show as well. But, Jessel, the other line of thought here is that you build up a character, you make him into the monster, uh, you make him Thanos-like in terms of so much power, and he's gone before we even get to see enough of him or enough, 
you know, interaction in terms of battle. Um, so what were your thoughts on, on that ending early? Because we'll go through the rest, but I think it is a big controversial point that people are not liking. So probably a good one to, 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 to just wrap this bit up in. Yeah, I think there are two schools of thought. I, I, well, I think because like, um, like George R. R. Martin is not writing these and it's not based, you know, primarily on the book. Uh, because he hasn't finished them yet, then this is now a TV show as opposed to a TV show based, you know, properly on the book. The earlier, the early seasons, you know, you can tell like it's a completely different show almost at the moment. So there are, there's going to be a lot more poetic license. I feel like in it, there already was last season and there definitely is this season. So I don't mind it so much. I'm not expecting to think, oh, this is going to be like kind of really intricate in terms of wordplay between people and that kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot more action. There's going to a lot more, going to be a lot more sort of plot points covered in a very short space of time so in terms of i think a lot of people old school uh seasons there are a lot of big deaths and unexpected deaths here i don't think there are that many unexpected deaths not really i mean most of the major characters survive okay you have theo and jorah those kind of ones but they're not like the sort of the cream of the crop really so um but for me like like i said the sort of thinning out of the whole general armies is the sort of big thing because that's going to be moving forward as for the night king I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's that bad having like an unseen enemy who you don't know that much about. Um, it's not like Thanos in, in, uh, in Avengers. I think this is different. This is something creepy and you don't always know what's going to happen. Like we can speculate that he's maybe a Targaryen or something, but in the end, does it really matter? You know, he's just trying to kill them. And, and so, so as a, various heartbacks that like how he was created in the first place with the, the children um you know putting that that uh, obsidian dagger into his heart and obviously the circularity with Ara, aria how she's finished him off but his whole purpose was the white walkers were created to protect the children you know and they were sort of there to kill humans right so if you think about it from that logical perspective all they want to do is kill humans that might just be the only motivation so why do we really need to know anything else about the night king you know all you've got to know is, is death is coming for them. And uh, and what does Arya say? She but, just says, not today. Yeah, it's uh, it reminded me of a Cap line. Someone says, kneel, and he goes, not today. You know, in the first Avengers to uh, Loki. Loki asks him to kneel, and he goes, not today. And he tries to kick his ass. But anyway, um, the, the thing with the Night King is that um, they are doing a whole other show on this. They're doing a whole other show on, on the pre, the Starks and how this all happened. So... You know, they, they know that something else is coming. Why would they want to go through so much and tell you exactly everything all the time? It's just uh, people are going overboard, I think, and getting a bit crazy. This is this is going to be the, the 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 I think it's the what did you call them? The children of the forest of the forest. Yeah, children of the forest. Children of the yeah. forest. That's all. That all that storyline's coming in a new show. There's a pilot being created for it apparently right now. So I think it builds up to all that. So you know, the the, the story will come. With, with other shows that they're making within this, I think they need to focus on finishing this story rather than build up more, more, you know, more than, I mean, we, we're going to need a whole episode of the Night King if you wanted to find out what the fuck happened. They've given you what happened as a little base and then you, you kind of let your own mind do the rest and imagine it. And, um, I, I just think this was a shock, guys. This was a fucking shock at the end of this episode. No way did any of us think the Night King would die. There was literally nobody predicted his death. Nobody. 
I have seen predicted. Hang on, I thought I thought Scott, hey, and now. I, Scott and I Scott and I both thought that it would finish in episode three. Like we said, yeah, that's but, what I the, thought. The preview podcast. We both said that. Yeah, but yeah. did you did you think you probably thought White Walkers? If you didn't think the Night King would actually die in this no, episode, but, but you can't get rid of the White Walkers without killing Night King. So the Night King had to die, surely. Yeah, I think it's the logical extension. I mean, I was talking with some coworkers. So we're, even, so even we're kind Friday, of putting words in each other's mouths now to try and take the so, glory. But really, no, just, really, so nobody said the words. The Night King will die in episode three. But we didn't have to say it. No one we, hung their hat on it. We said we said that the battle would be in three, episode three, and then the next three, um, you know, they'd win or the Night King would win. There'd be one or the other, right? And then the next three episodes <laughs> would do call it. One or the That's other. That's it. it I, I, <laughs> Be up I think if you go back and check the tape, and it's an amazing podcast, I think everyone can go back and listen to it. We did such a great job. But yeah. no, I mean, I think that's the implication that, at least as far as for me, is always what is the narrative of the story? And I think you guys are talking about the Night King is not Thanos. He's not this, you know, layered, you know, well detailed villain who has now, I think, become one of the great villains in cinema history. I mean, he was the way that they handled Thanos. This is more like Snoke from the latest Star Wars trilogy. Where we got <laughs> yes. this guy. And we he got was. rid of him right away. He really was. And I, could, and I could see the criticism saying, you know, it would be nice to know more about him. It would be nice to know more. What the hell is Bran doing? You know, he's out with the Ravens for most of the episode. I mean, I would have liked more of that. But I do think it fits, like you said, Gags, and that, yes, they are doing another trilogy, or they're doing another series. We're going to get more of that. Plus, what is this story about? This story is about, you know, who is going to rule Westeros? And yes, this was this existential threat. And that's what does make it creepy. It does make add to the horror element is you don't know what their true motivation to some extent is until we found out recently, but they're this faceless enemy coming to kill you all. It's death. But the real plot line of the show is the politics of it in the Kings and the Queens. And I think that's why Jessel and I said, well, what's the most likely thing going to happen it's probably they're going to deal with the white walkers by episode three and then the last three episodes are going to be spent with the true villain who they spent years building up i mean cersei is again one of the great characters in tv and film history based on how much time we've spent with her and how much they've dedicated to being showing a nuanced character so yeah it just made sense i mean if you're going to give her the white walkers the night king has to go i mean i just i never saw a way that why they would drag it out i mean unless you thought that the night king was going to sit on the throne at the end but yeah i mean that's just that's nihilistic eat at arby's type stuff that i don't even think the show was going to do no and i think um i think a lot of the problem is that um, people are probably worried that now with the, with, with that nerdy stuff gone, you know, all the, all the horror type and magical type stuff, but what they, what is going to be gone from the show? But I don't think there is. I think there's loads. There's a warg. There's a faceless man type, um, thing with, with Arya. There's so much sci-fi still type of shit, mystery kind of stuff going on. And we can, we're actually going to get to see some of that now properly. Cause I think they'll use that from Arya. She's going to go forward being a really powerful, um, you know, is it, she's going to be steeped in it, people are going to give her so much respect you know now um, going forward in these last three episodes and and also um you know the walking there's got to be more coming from but where the fuck was he you know up until he walks in and it's time to say bye to theon he was like just in the clouds where who was he with what was he doing so personally i still think there's a lot of sci-fi element left if those if there's people worried about that i still think there's shitloads, and i love it i love that they're going to be able to focus on them and the dragons now um without this dead dragon clouding shit up you know and and, and making trouble so i'm glad that they've done that um I, I don't know whether you guys agree that there's still shitloads left in this 
There's loads left. And I think, in fact, the meat is to come, to be honest. Mm. This, to me, was, you know, uh, I always thought it was going to be like an interesting battle and um, the White Walkers and stuff. Like that. But if you look at it season by season, I mean, you know, in the first couple of seasons, they barely had any time on screen. And then gradually it kind of creeps in. But they never get more than like, what, one episode, um, you know, half an episode here or there or stuff like that. So they're, they're not like the real villain of the piece that Scott was saying. Cersei is really, if you if you want to call her a villain, you don't have to. But, you know, she is the sort of biggest threat to them. And in terms of like the Night King, again, we don't know that much about him. I'm sure the prequels will kind of clear that, clear all that up. Um, I'm fine with that. I think, I think this was good decision making, to be honest. And the next three episodes, I mean, we'll get to my, my thoughts on the whole episode three at the end. But to be honest, I'm kind of glad it's out of the way in a way because I'm really now looking forward to the last three because I don't know what's going to happen. Like anything could happen. Whereas with this, when I looked at episode three, I thought, okay, this is going to be the battle. It should be pretty self contained. I would have thought the White Walkers would be killed and the Night King would be killed. You know, I thought that was quite likely, to be honest. So I wasn't shocked. The way it happened, I was shocked, but I wasn't that shocked. And now I'm really looking forward to the last three episodes even more, to be honest. Yeah, I was yeah, completely uh, shocked, by the way. I was like, wow, love it. Love the Arya, love the whole thing. Love that it was the dagger that Bran handed to her that was supposed to kill him. You know, I love that she's Azora's eye, the prince that was promised. I love everything about how. It was Dundarian that was, you know, died so many times, came back to life, ended up saving her life, and it was for this. And just all of it, how the three people that were that saved her were on her list: the Red Woman, um, uh, Dundarian, and the Hound. Oh, all were yeah. on her list. She she was saved by them. Like there's so much steeped in this plotline it is massive fucking massive man and then the, the 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 way she kills the night king is the same maneuver that she uses against brienne in a, in their play fight it drops and she got it against her neck or whatever it, it is honestly well thought well written well done absolutely nailed it uh, yeah and i also have to say that i think when we were talking on the preview podcast about aria um, I think it was Scott was saying actually that um, she she is incredibly powerful. Like we we haven't sort of even scratched the surface in the show of how powerful she actually is. A lot of it has been hidden up until really up until this point, to be honest. And and she rocks the shit in this episode. I mean, this is her episode. The the things that you see her do. I've seen kind of like on, on Twitter, which is primarily where I get. Yeah, I mean, on Twitter it's kind of like people are really happy for her or they're like oh my god i can't believe it's her and not john or whatever like that yeah i I mean to be honest if you think about it logically from literally the first episode onwards season after season she is like the most elite assassin that you could possibly think Mm -hmm. of you know if john would have just gone charging in like theon did and probably got his ass handed to him you know Arya is an actual assassin like she could creep up on people like see people are saying how did she creep up on on uh, on the night she did the John she, just two episodes exactly, ago, and he says, exactly. how did you creep up on me? It's like all exactly. set up. I can't believe people aren't watching. Exactly. It's all foreshadowed, right? And and the way that, you know, Bran has given her the dagger that he almost got killed with. And then, you know, the, even the position of the dagger that, that it goes into the into the Night King's kind of heart or whatever. And that's how he was created in the first place by the children of the forest. It, all of this makes sense. It all makes sense. But as for Arya, I just think she is so powerful. She is pretty much the most powerful character in the show in terms of on a human element, yeah. you know. So so I loved it. And, and for her to be the one to do it, 
I, for me, it's perfect, actually. I, I think if, and also, I mean, I'll sort of jump onto Jon Snow now very quickly. He he had a pretty poor episode in terms of what he he did stuff, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't the hero. And actually, I love that because he's always the hero. Mm. So for once, having someone else do it was was just brilliant and actually quite breathtaking. Like uh, when she jumps and does, it does her Air Jordan move on the Night King, it was just phenomenal, you know. Yeah. Before before you go to Jon Snow, can you just talk about Arya as well there, uh, get your thoughts on the ending, because I've had a go at putting it over. Jessel's had a wonderful go at putting it over. What about you, Scott? Did you enjoy it as well? I just thought it was great that they made... This was Arya's episode. They made this episode about her, and when you look back at the big battle episodes, there's usually one character who stands out from each one, and, and you know, the Battle of Blackwater was almost Tyrion's story to some extent. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Battle of the Bastards was so much about John and Ramsay too, and Hard Home definitely was. But you just had these moments inside the battle, you know, when she's in the library and she's, you know, oh. trying to creep and stalk around oh. the whites and, and try and survive. And, and Gags, I thought you made a great point. I didn't even think about that, that she eventually gets saved by three people who used to be on her kill list, and that's who she's stuck with in a room. And those three people end up saving her life and then help her save everybody else's lives. But this was this was in many ways her episode. She got to show the full extent of everything she had learned, everything who she was since, for, since the first season when, you know, Ned said one day you'll have sons and they'll be warriors and you'll be a lady. And she said, no, that's not me. Well, we saw who she was, the full extent of all of her powers, all of her training and everything that led to it. And yeah, that's why for me, people are like, oh, she came out of nowhere and stuff. But that's what made it richer. It would it would have been too cliche for John to come screaming in with the sword and save the day. And even the director said that was what they wanted to do. They wanted to turn it on its head. They wanted to be different than that. And you can't find a better character who's set up for that because the Night King is so powerful when you try to come at him through conventional ways. It doesn't work. That's why when he raised his arms, John thought he was going to get to him and he got nowhere close. But Arya could because of all the all the, you know, ninja assassin moves she had learned and things like that. It just it was such an awesome, awesome moment. And again, some people, you know, will critique Game of Thrones and that you're not supposed to get the happy ending. But this one was all the pieces were there, all the foreshadowing, all the, you know, little layers to it were there throughout the seasons. And I mean, who wasn't excited and did a fist pump when she stabbed that knife into the Night King's, you know, chest and belly right there. That was amazing. Absolutely. So, I mean, we've, we've covered her. I think she had a great, even the one thing she said to, um, Sansa, stick it, stick, stick him with the pointy end. You know, John, do what John, John said, I think, or it was just brilliant. Was it John or was it a dad? Yeah. Yeah. John said it was John, wasn't it? Right at the start. Yeah. It was brilliant. Stick him with the pointy end. And, uh, she said that to Sansa. So it was, I thought that was, that was very, that was a cute little bit as well. And she took the advice and went. (laughs) And uh, we'll talk about Sansa and Tyrion in a bit, but, um, John and Danny. So in this one, Remember, Scott, we've just come off of John telling Danny his secret and there being a bit of tension, but the big thing I got from this episode after watching it a couple of times now is that Johnny, uh, Danny saves his ass on a numerous occasions. Numerous. One, when he's getting, there's a scene in the air. So obviously first time was very hard to watch. I watched it back again second time when him and the Night King are going at it on their dragons and the Night King's got position. So he's got the javelin. Remember, he's an Olympian. And um, also 
uh, Viserion has position on John, so he's trying to bite him, trying to burn him, and then as so basically, both of the villains have got position on one on the dragon, so he's going to kill the dragon with his spear, and then he's he's trying to kill uh, the dragon's trying to kill John, and all of a sudden, Danny comes from above and smashes Viserion, which throws, um, which throws the Night King to the ground. So that was one. Uh, the second one is on the ground at the end when he's, you know, he's getting uh, overrun by all the whites that are, well, that are his own army, basically, that have died and that um, the Night King raises and she comes in, saves his ass again. So even though there was that, that stuff going on between them, um, it was, it was, it, it, it just showed that I personally thought I like, brought across that, you know, this is, we're together in this and we're going to be, Signed together, she could have just said, you know what, fucking Ali's after my throne, kill him first. <laughs> if he really wanted to make her the Mad Queen. But I think they kind of made sure they stayed as a, as a unit in this and she was saving his ass regularly. I thought in this episode, and you can react to that, Scott, but I thought he was stupid in this episode. I really did. And I'll, and I'll, yeah. and I'll come to that in a minute. I, I want to see if you pick up on why I thought he was stupid. Well, a couple things there. I think you're right that as far as the connection there is still pretty strong. I mean, we know Danny's number one goal is to send the Iron Throne, but she does care about John, and she even says she loves him in episode two. But you can tell it's it's John probably loves her even more. And I think another part is, if I remember correctly, during the episode, at one point I think John might have called out to her name somewhere in the snowstorm or in the dragon battle. So I mean, he's calling out to her too. So it, they still have that connection. And then, and I think you're right, especially in that episode, she bails him out, and they're still fighting together. You know, some of the thought is, well, what could be left for us in the final three episodes? Could there be a conflict between John and Danny? But I've always thought. And I think we talked about this in the preview pods. My best guess was that this show ends by John sacrificing himself. I think that while they could try to set up an ultimate clash between the two of them, I just don't think that fits with who John is. And I think John, you could even see it on his face when he told Danny about his, you know, who he truly is, and his reaction to her reaction when she immediately went to thoughts of the throne. His reaction was almost pain because he loves her so much, and so I think he's willing to put her before him but you saw some of what you know danny did for him because she did have to save his bacon and i i guess i mean you're teasing it from what i saw is john did a lot of the same things he just tries to be the hero he tries to charge in he tries to save the day and there's a time and a place for that and i felt that he got himself into a lot of situations that way in this episode much like he has before and it's funny because it always feels like somebody's coming to bail him out and, you know, maybe he's just like Ned Stark. You know, he's thick as a brick. He's honorable and courageous, but he's not putting his brain to use. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you look through the history of him, he's constantly making these these errors, but he what just happens the to have was? friends what who bail think, him out. Yeah. Basically. What did you think the error was this time? Um, specifically, mm. I don't know. Well, what I <laughs> okay, thought he so should you. So tell you. Well, Okay, go on. The, you, know, you know, right at the end, he gets so fucking frustrated with Viserion that he decides that I'm going to fucking face you and scream in your face. <laughs> and if his sister, his 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 cousin, doesn't kill the Night King, Johnny's dead. Right there and then, Johnny's dead. It is the most stupidest thing. I know you're playing cat and mouse, right, with this dragon. Great scene. Loved it. Love that you're in and out. The music is perfect. Love all that, right? 
But for you to get so frustrated and just say, yeah, fuck this, kill me then. Uh, I mean, come on. You're supposed to be she the king. He didn't have a good plan. He hey. didn't have a good plan to deal with that dragon. The last time I saw that, I think it was like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, when he's just taking shots of flames. And you got to do something. You can't just stand there. But yeah, he had no plan to deal with that dragon until you said gag where he was just going to charge him. It was like, like Ramsey. He just got frustrated. It's just utterly dumb. And if they're trying to pull that across, fair enough. I think, Scott, you nailed it with saying that's his history. Fair enough. He is a thick bastard. <laughs> well, he's not a bastard anymore, but he was. But, you know, <laughs> was supposed to be. But, yeah, I, personally, I thought, when I saw that, I just thought, you dumb fuck. You, if you die here now, I am going to be pissed. And well, then luckily... he even said that to him before, you know, yeah. after the Battle of the Bastards, because first he goes charging in trying to save Rickon or whatever, right? And then next, you know, he he doesn't have a proper plan. He's just like, you know, swirling his sword around, getting covered with people and stuff. And and who saves him? It's Sansa with the Knights of the Vale and and Littlefinger, R.I.P. Littlefinger. And um, you know, uh, then also he gets killed. Who brings him back? Melisandre. And then you know, the previous battles, Blackwater, not Blackwater, the other one with the wildlings and stuff like that. You know, he's constantly needing saving. He's not, you know, he's basically like Ned Stark with friends. I think Ned Stark didn't have that friends network to bail him out of stuff effectively. Probably did when he was young, man. We just haven't Maybe, seen it. Oh, he, well, he, he did when he was young because yeah. actually I just saw that episode, the flashback to when he's trying to go and save Liana, his sister. Yeah, and he gets saved it's, a lot it's, there. It's, yeah, it's Mira's father. <laughs> Um, Mira Reed's father yeah. saves him. He's That's about to get killed by this this knight guy or whatever. So, mm. so it is it's a constant theme. Um, you know, he didn't have the best episode, but he still did stuff. He still oh. contributed. I, oh yeah, no, uh, no, no doubt. It was a great. Uh, I actually thought they were good. I thought Danny and him were good. They were trying to be the two that were saving everything, and I thought it was good that the storm came and they couldn't see that they needed to light the the trenches and stuff. And you know, I just thought. The whole story was really, it was believable for me. I know a lot of people said, oh, he couldn't see anything. What, what, a, what a load of shit. But it, it was believable. Really a great tactic from the Night King to do, to do that, to make it really hard for humans to, to look, you know, to see anything. It's, it's perfect. So from my point of view, I thought that was good. And, um, yeah, I thought they, they carried on. And also, um, from going from John to Jan, uh, to Danny, Jessel, you, you feared that she was going to go as well. Uh, a couple of times in this, especially at the end with the, uh, with, with, uh, you know, with Sajora. Yeah, that was a close shave. And, um, and uh, he really put in a shift today. Like that was his crowning glory moment. His whole life, he, well, not his whole life, but the whole series, he has been building up to this. And, you know, uh, it, that was, I think that was the only kind of bit I got, I almost got emotional. I didn't really get that emotional in this episode, but I think that was the one that I was kind of like, Wow, you know, because like uh Danny got very emotional and understandably, and he really does save her bacon for sure. You know, he's he, she's pretty much using him as a shield at certain points as a result. Like she's standing behind him, pointing, saying, "Look there," and she actually uses the sword as well. And it, it's pretty hilarious because I don't think I've ever seen her with a weapon in her hand, or and I've certainly never seen her use one. Okay, no, she's used never. dragons before. That's yeah, different. Never. So seeing her with a sword and actually like spearing White Walkers is pretty amazing to see you know i mean if you can contrast that with sansa who's like how does this dagger work <laughs> you know oh, so, so funny the, but so both funny. of them are put in that position in this in this episode so it's interesting how they both have to deal with certain things i mean sansa doesn't really have to deal with it i'm sure she'll come over the next sort of three episodes privileged, but... privileged aren't they basically they they've grown up into those roles rather than you know they, i mean like sansa was always going to be like a lady of that of that she was the one who was the the snotty one wasn't she and also same with danny 
she's from a high, you know, she's she's a princess, if you think about if it. If you contrast that with Arya and Liana Mormont, I mean, those two in this episode, we'll come to Liana, I'm sure oh. she got her... Cr- I mean, that was an amazing moment, actually. Yeah. So, some people thought it was cheesy. I thought it was brilliant, no, actually. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was great. Um, Scott on Danny, uh, any extra thoughts? I mean, I, I was thinking of playing that song, you know, I just died in your arms tonight, you know, because obviously he died. <laughs> I was hoping they played that. <laughs> Must have I been mean, something been... you said. <laughs> that would have been perfect. You're going to play that SNL skit. <laughs> Must have been something you said. But yeah, I mean, it really, it, that's what, just on the head that's what jorah was building up to i mean he 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 loved danny he wanted a a certain type of love back from her that he was never going to get but you know i think he had come to peace with that and he was willing to give his life for her because i mean that's part of her rise to power is that she inspires this devotion in her followers and you know some men fall in love with her some people just want to to follow her and, and, and support her rise to, you know, to the throne. And, and Jory was a little bit of both. And in that moment, yeah, I mean, he could, he couldn't even talk at the end. You know, we talked before we got on the pod about uh, how he dies. He can't even get words out. I mean, he took so many, so many stab wounds, but he, he just kept going and going because he was going to give everything he had to the last. So it was a pretty epic moment for him. And it it was, it was a sweet send off for the two of them because, you know, that, that relationship, you know, meant a lot to her and is one of the main characters, you know, that means to us as part of the story. And they had put, they'd put years of time and investment into it, ups and downs. I mean, it was not, you know, a simple relationship. So for that moment, you know, people are like, well, yeah, none of the main characters, Tyrion, Sansa, Arya, J- John, Danny died. But in that moment, I mean, that's a pretty heavy emotional moment. Tough day at the office really for House Mormont. I mean, Leanne as well, well, but she went out, like a Mormont, they and both went out. Let's oh, talk about it, man. That was, I thought, was fearless a great and scene. ferocious. Yeah, it's a great scene. Go for it, dude. Let's talk about Liana's. Uh, yeah, I mean, death. I don't. I, I, I have two daughters. They're five and one. If they were thirteen, I don't think I would let them just not be surrounded by a bunch of guards with swords. But somehow Liana found herself just by herself, you know, alone, <laughs> taking out oh, a giant. Man. And she gets but thrown the out of the way first. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, she's the she first did. One she that was harsh. Aside, yeah. But she she. Like you said, she was ferocious. She told Jorah that she was going to fight. She wasn't going down with the Crips. And that's what Bear Island is famous for, is being ferocious fighters. I mean, she bragged, I think it was season six, that, you know, one of every House Mormont fighters can are as good as 20 men. And she proved that herself. I mean, to the very last, she's getting crushed by a giant. I mean, she's so small compared to him. But in that moment she still stays with it and goes out swinging i mean it was it was very heroic and it was fitting for a character that i don't i think they had any intention of growing into that but that added to the emotional weight of the show yeah we didn't lose some other characters but we lost some people that you know had given us great scenes and that was a heck of a way for her to go out yeah just i loved it how she screams at the giant when she goes at him Yeah, it was very kind of Braveheart-esque, wasn't yeah, it? You know, very. Like, yeah, um, and it's just the contrast between like the smallest probably soldier there, effectively, yeah, exactly. and the biggest. That is beautiful. It was a great moment, really. And, and he crushes his body in his hands. He can feel, he can hear it, the bones crushing. Oh, yeah. oh my word! Wonderful, wonderful. And it just basically just she just uh, she just stabs him in the eye. Uh, I think we'll move on to the next death then, Scott. Which is um, the guy who's redeemed himself? I feel the most um, in this season, uh, Mister Theon Greyjoy. Uh, personally, um, that I thought. I thought if there was another person who really battled hard 
this guy took on so many whites in this this episode. Literally, it felt like he took on all of them that were coming in there on his own. Yeah, I mean, we talked about in the preview podcast. Do we 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 figured there might be something for Theon, and we talked about the possibility would he get his redemption arc? I mean, this is a character so many people have hated, and they've kind of laid the seeds for it. And we talked about would we even care? And, you know, I, I think where they left it, it didn't resonate with me at that last point. I didn't think I would care that much just because of just how despicable he was. But I think, you know, you saw him along the way. He he eventually got forgiveness from John. Then he got forgiveness from Sansa. And in this episode, he got forgiveness from Bran, the one who he really, I mean, he betrayed Rob and he'll never get that moment with him. But he really betrayed Bran and all the terrible things that Theon did at Winterfell in season two. And yeah. You know, the problem with Theon is he was just such a coward. He was so arrogant. You could just tell he's he's really a shit. But in the end, you know, it was kind of silly. You're like, why is he just charging the Night King? But I think in that moment, he had to prove to himself that he wasn't the person that he had proven to be in season seven and other seasons where he would just run away. He literally ran right into the fray and he put his life on the line before that. He took him. He fought to the bitter end. No more arrows. So then he finally got a spear and gave it everything he had. And I, and I think that it was, it was a real moment, whereas, you know, you can say, well, it's kind of silly, you know, manufacture. But I, I think, again, they laid the groundwork for that, too. And, and the fact that he's accepted by so many of the people that he had wronged, I think, added, you know, a real bit of emotion at the end. And so much as everything is going on and to where you actually felt bad for his death, even if. I think most people probably saw that one coming. And, you know, some things we saw coming didn't happen. But, man, this really seemed the writing on the wall. When you sign up for, for, you know, that particular job to protect Bran from the Night King, you know you're going right into the into harm's way. Jesso, how did you feel about that? Because I think when we talked on the preview pods, you kind of felt a little like me, and then you were on the fence if you cared or not about Theon. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it, to be honest. But I, I definitely cared because his story, you know, as I've been rewatching it recently, the first three first three seasons you know he's just he just descends into this madness and this bravado and this idiocy that he makes all these terrible decisions and then he really kind of gets his comeuppance well, it's more than a comeuppance through Ramsay Bolton but then he helps Sansa and from that point he is trying to redeem himself I mean no one's even really talked about that scene from um from I don't know which battle it is I can't remember but the one on the ship where you know he has the chance to say help save Yara from Euron and he just literally jumps overboard and back then everyone was just taking the piss out of him saying oh my god what a coward this that but we knew back then that that he was kind of doing that so that he could potentially help in the future and this has been his redemption um he's got to make peace with everyone including Yara and he he put it in a shift here. I mean, it was his like Lego last moment and he's just firing off arrows constantly and, and he had his mates with him and they're all dead. Uh, uh, the only thing is, this, I mean, with Spear, I agree, like maybe he didn't have to go running off, but I think he was just trying to maybe put a bit of distance between the Night King and Bran. So even if he died at that point, it would at least... And it sounds ridiculous, but at least it put like 20 meters between the Night King and Bran. And and if that could make a difference, which ultimately I guess it did, of just slowing down the Night King by whatever whatever means necessary. If uh, Maybe, I don't know if that makes any sense. But uh, otherwise, I think his story arc has been fantastic. You know, he has been one of the, 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 the characters who's been difficult to like, but he's redeemed himself for sure. And he played his part. Agreed. I, I loved it. I thought um, he, he he really worked his bollocks. Oh, sorry, he's got none. He worked his ass off in this uh, in this scene, and really, really was horrible when he, when when Bran wakes up 
from being a warg and just says to him, "You, you are a great. You're a knight. You're a good man." I, I thought he, I thought he said you were a good man first. I was like, "What the fuck?" He's predicting his death with it before he's even dead. But he said, "You are a good man," and then kind of gave you know Theon then had that crying look on his face like he was fearing his death but he still went for it and um he got a good death I think he got a good death losing to the Night King's no no bad thing uh, but yeah it could have you know so I've, I've, <laughs> as one of my friends said it could have held on 12 more seconds and <laughs> it would have been <laughs> it was quite funny but yeah it would <clears throat> that's all part of the story Brand kind of knew kind of I feel like he knew it was going to happen I don't know but that was meant to be but okay just a couple of other story arcs um before we do Sansa Tyrion last let's do um and in the crypt because that's interesting let's do the hound because personally i thought he had a good episode as well uh because you know there was a bit in there where he he was obviously fighting and then he got scared of the the fire but the only thing that woke him up from that fear was saving arya and Scott, I thought that was such an important part because this is supposed to be a guy who cares about nothing. But now, slowly, we we see the small bits of caring. But now it was full on, no way am I letting that girl die. You know, like proper father figure-esque moment for, for the Hound, which is a complete turnaround uh, to be doing it in this. Obviously, it's 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 the end, isn't it? So for him to do that, I thought, this is going to be so much fun now uh, if they survive and they have, which I think is an important part, obviously, them saving her. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit redemption like Theon, you know, how Theon came mm. full circle and he had been, a, you know, the hound had fought for himself. He didn't care about other people. Theon was a coward, but in the end, Theon, you know, in one final courageous act, tried to save somebody else. And exactly, the hound, once again, it was the echoes of the Battle of Blackwater, where he had a choice in the Blackwater, and he said, screw it, Joffrey's not worth it. Not a bad call, but this is different. I mean, this is somebody who truly, you know, he cares about and is some, truly somebody worth saving, and he has that exact same moment where he's too afraid to go on, and when called out on it, he realizes, oh yeah, I cannot possibly let her die, just like you said. And I actually thought that he was going to die, maybe similar to how Beric did, and, you know, just one last gasp of making sure that she got out alive or she could do what she had to do. But, you know, because of that's the end of it, and that's kind of the completion of his journey. It's the cycle. And I thought it was really cool how they gave him that little moment. Now they gave different characters, little moments to kind of either complete their journey or continue the path that they're on from, you know, the, the real development. And it was a real change for him. And again, there's so many callbacks from prior seasons that came into this episode. That's the way it's been going on a while, but that's years. Yet another layer, uh, yet another earned mo- moment that adds real weight and emotion between characters. Agree. If you can add more to that, Jessel, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Scott nailed it. The only thing I'd add is that I, I never really thought that um, the Hound was going to die today because we've got Clegane Bowl coming yeah. up. Oh, and that's right. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, I never yeah. thought he'd die. Either. I thought that was pretty safe. That. The... But when you're in the moment, it feels like. It. I mean, even when, like I said, I didn't think. <laughs> The White Walkers are going to win, but in that last bit of moment, I'm like, well, man, who's going to save him now? Or even when Drog, I didn't think Drogon was going to die. Yeah, but I, I thought he was a goner because he was getting swarmed. So even in the moment when you're watching it, and I think Gags, you said when you rewatch it, you get a little bit more clarity. You could see some things when you're in the moment. No, it's hard. You're it's like, well, emotional. I think I know what's mm-hmm. going to happen, but I don't know. And some things we thought were going to happen didn't. So in that exact moment, even though, yeah, that's right, we should have had Clone Game Ball. I'm not thinking about game ball. I'm thinking about the fact that the hound is putting himself on the line and they're running through these hallways. 
and it would have just been easy for him to be swarmed. I mean, look what happened to Barrick. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they teased the game ball last season. They got to give that to us. That would be pretty cool. It's going to be the best, and it will be in full light, Jessel. Don't worry. No, no more darkness. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jessel, last one. I know you like Santa. Um, there was a really cute scene of them hiding behind one of the crypts <laughs> and uh, behind one of them, uh, her and uh, Tyrion reconnecting. And also there was like hints. You were the best one of them all and all this. And I just thought they did that. They built that really well in, in, in times of peril because the only real dialogue we got in this episode was in the crypts. Everything else was just a word here or there. Apart from um, um, the, the the red woman and Arya, obviously when she was just telling her uh, about the the eye stuff. Uh, apart from that, though, all the dialogue was down there, and there wasn't much dialogue. So if we got a heavy dialogue episode last one, this one was all action and fear and shitting ourselves. But yeah, what did you think of the Tyrion and Sansa stuff? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of um, I think it was Blackwater when uh, Cersei and Sansa and all the the women are kind of locked up in in uh, in a tower or whatever, and then Sir Illyn is kind of looking after them. And in that episode, you know, it's she's quite somber, but Cersei's just getting hammered and basically just sort of making fun of Sansa. Here, I think it felt like Sansa is the queen, and you know, she said there's really not much she could do in this episode. And, you know, she said it to Tyrion. She's not, you know, there's nothing you can do either. Like, what's the point? His, his brain is the most important commodity and what he can bring moving forward, as well as being a Lannister and having the inside trap for the next three episodes, effectively. So in ter- and in terms of the tender moment between, I mean, that, that was really nice. Like, I don't think they're going to end up together or anything like that. I, I very much doubt it. Um, Build the trust it- though, right? Probably exactly. Trust, yeah. There's more than just will they end up together. It's a nice thing because he was the only one out of those three men who was nice to her. And actually, even before they even got together, he protected her when she was getting beaten in front of um, Joffrey in, in the in the sort of church bit or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of the actual the whole crypt scene in general, I don't know what you guys thought about that. Like, did you think it worked? I thought it worked. I mean, they really foreshadowed the hell out of it in episode two. When you go back and rewatch it, I mean, yeah. numerous times, everybody says, oh, the crypt is the safest place to be. <laughs> I mean, they could not have telegraphed that anymore where everybody, I mean, even my wife who watches it casually, she was texting me from work the other day. She goes, okay, so they're going to go down the crypts, right? Yeah. And so the Night King, he can bring people back from the dead, right? Yes. And so why are they going down to a place where there's a bunch of dead people? Ah, so, I mean, it was, I mean, it added to that horror element. And I think if I remember correctly, around the time of the episode, it, it, maybe it was a little bit after the library scene or the Aria. Mm. Where, so I thought it was cool, really cool how they added that horror element. I mean, it was a little chaotic to tell, like, okay, some people were living, some people not, who was getting free. But I thought, like you said, Jess, so it's, they, they're probably not ending up together. But it was that sweet moment that the Sansa and Tyrion, people who had been experiencing things together, they went through the brutality and awfulness of Joffrey together, you know, and, and being in a situation they didn't want to be in, but they went through it together and they gained some mutual respect. And that was kind of just this last moment on the edge of the world. We're probably going to die, but let's go out together. And I thought that was cool how they rallied as well. And they found the courage and, you know, they ended up surviving, not really much by what they did themselves, but it just added another layer of, desperation at the end of the episode it adds to the this is it everybody's getting it even if we think it wasn't going to happen it seems like everybody's on the verge of dying 
how are they going to get out of this? So I, I thought it added to the intensity and, you know, the real tension at the end of the episode. So I thought it worked for that perspective. I mean, we didn't get a ton of scenes or, or no, why some people were raised or not. Anyone who was coming out of the crypt, if they'd focus maybe on like, oh shit, here's Leanna's bones and oh fuck, here's Leanna Stark. Then yeah, I think there would have been something like, whoa, that's fucked up. Or but, Rickon from the, I mean, he just yeah, recently died. That yeah. would have been, cra- they, that, I thought they should have done that. That would have been cool. And would have had more of a resonance, at least, because that would have been, you know, I don't think any of the characters had like a Walking Dead type thing in the show where somebody that came back from the dead, they had to face them. I wish they had done something like that, even though we've seen it in other things, because it would have just it would have given you another moment of, of fear and terror. Yeah, exactly. It would have been interesting. Um, I, I think that would have that would have been would have been a bit of fun. But yeah, I, I think by not going there, it just makes it all simple enough and you know not too cheesy maybe and maybe people would expect it stuff like that so yeah i think it's fine i think it's fine what they've done but i um, I think the other thing sorry if i could just jump in the other thing is it like going back to the very first episode of game of thrones it's really fascinating how many of those characters are still here up until like the beginning of this episode how many of them are still living it's bizarre you know game of thrones has a reputation of killing off the major characters all the time blah 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 but actually the most of the principal characters all the lannisters like Tyrion, jamie cersei all alive daenerys Jon snow sansa still there Arya's still there you know a lot of these people samuel's still there bran's still alive you know a, a lot of the big big characters have never actually died um I mean, obviously ned stark and catelyn but and rob but but that's pretty much it there's not been that many others and they all have a part to play and they've all been built and built layer upon layer and all these kind of narratives intertwining with one another you know like for example like the episode i was re-watching today like sam has gone back to the tarleys and he gets heartsbane the 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 sword and that's the one that today um what's his face uh jorah ends up with and helps um Daenerys with it's this tangled weave and and that's what's really fascinating so when it comes to the kind of more zombie moments I, I mean I'm not that's I'm not amazing, really that bothered Jessel, about that's amazing so. she destroyed his family and his sword his family's sword saves their life exactly it's amazing I didn't even it's those that. ironic moments yeah just yeah. amazing it's just like you mentioned before with with Ari and the three people she had meant to kill yeah, yeah. that ended up saving her. It's, it's just, just so, the way these things it's come just, back. It's just too, there's so much to this. It's so deep, isn't it? It's so entwined. Sorry. It's very entwined. Everything is entwined everywhere, which is great, great pickup, man, Jess. that was really interesting. I like that. Mm. Um, so one last thing then. What do you, oh no, one last thing. We have to talk about the score at the end because personally, Oh, I just thought wow. that they brought it to life. They, they, they put the music to the fore and they put the sound effects down, uh, you know, a considerable amount of decibels where it's kind of muted. It's kind of like, you know, in those movies when you, when a bomb goes off and then you get the, and then you get the, you're, you're inside the protagonist's body kind of thing and you can't hear anything. You just hear a C type thing, you know? Do you remember any of those films or those those times where you? Oh did? yeah, yeah. So it felt yeah, it's like the shell shock. Yeah, yeah. So, so it felt like that that they've cut the sound really low and they've put the music to fore. And I just thought it just built everything up. And I, I never heard. It must be brand new because this. Yeah, tune, it is brand new because it was. It was sure. there was Game of Thrones elements in there in the music, but speeded up. I just thought they nailed it, man. They just nailed the score. I know you already talked about the starting, Jessel, 
But this ending one was something special, man, for me. I just thought, I'm downloading that when they release it, for example. It was superb. It, it absolutely took my breath away. I mean, I had that in my head on a loop for the whole day, pretty much. Just that like piano motif yeah. kind of thing. Um, it was incredible. in with the other sound effects already dulled um and and also the thing is it lasted for a long long time um i mean the second time i watched it i was kind of time stamping things effectively <laughs> and i think I, I think it started with about almost 15 minutes left of the actual episode so that brand really? new score yeah i'm not even joking it was either 15 or 13 one of those two numbers but a long long time and it carried on and it was interspersed with other things like the red woman's thing and this and that and other things but is that that general piano motif kept going for for almost 15 minutes it was bizarre but it was so good and and it just kept building and building up to aria's stabbing of the night king um and then even after that after melisandre goes off and uh you know sort of takes off her titanic necklace and <laughs> just drops oh down God, yeah. but but honestly in terms of the score i think that is without a doubt my favorite episode in terms of score wise without a doubt just not even close now yeah i thought they built the um that everybody was in trouble, Scott. With that score, they built the, the tension of, oh my God, your favourite characters are getting overrun by their own army. That's the dead that's come back. I just thought it was perfect. When Game of Thrones is at its best, I think it blends all those elements we're just talking about. It, you have great storyline, you have great visuals, the cinematography, and also the music. I'll always be partial to Winds of Winter, the way that they had the piano intro and the way it, you know, it reaches a crescendo with the explosion of the sept. But this, this was on another level, separate from that, just on how it, like you said, it, it rose and fall was a little bit of the beginning, then the end, and then just it ratcheted up the intensity to about a 15 at the end. And you're just waiting. I mean, because the last half of the episode, it just felt like at any moment somebody was going because, mm. you know, as you talked about gags early in the episode, you know, they kind of laid the groundwork of just how terrible the situation is. And then, you know, going into the episode, I had to take a deep breath. I'm like, I know crazy shit is coming. I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And by the end of the episode, it just felt like something was really going to hit a peak. And yeah, the music really added to that and, and the score. And, and I think that's why they waited so long to do these episodes. They really put a ton of production into them. Mm. They, they spent their time. They, they really made the most of it. And you can tell the attention to detail is off the charts the past few episodes. And it really makes you excited for what's to come because of they're just they're trying to hit all the high notes and it's really working. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so one last thing. And this, I promise, I promise this is the last one. End the game, last, last, last thing. End game. <laughs> end game or this episode of Game of Thrones, uh, Scott. Oh, I mean, I'm still, like I said, I watched all, both of them yesterday. I'm still trying to wrap my head around everything. I mean, I think for, I I think we'll look back on this season as a whole. And I think that's the only way to compare it to Endgame. Because mm -hmm. while this was such a huge moment, there's more to come. Whereas, yes. you know, I felt that this, it was kind of cool on how there was a lot of symmetry and coincidence between the fact that two major franchises are coming to an end in a peak, you know, things that have taken up this entire decade yeah. and to have both that happen same, at the same started time. around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Iron Man came out. I want to say 2008. Yeah. And then yeah. Game of Thrones started 11. So for basically this entire decade, they've dominated. That's been ones on TV. No, one's no. On film. I think Game of Thrones was before 11, wasn't it? 
I think it was no, 10, it started, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It started it in 11. Shooting, shooting, it went, oh, well, it's okay. shot in 10, but it, it, right. it went season 1 and 11, then 2 through, and then they took a break for 2018. So you basically had one season from 11 to 17 that took a break, but it just it, it no, felt it like the 18 end of an months, era. 18 months, mate, in between 5 and 6, too? Or 6 and 7, too? Yeah, close, yeah, because I think yeah, what, yeah. season uh, 6 was more in the... Or season 7 was more in the summer. Season 7 mm. ended in August of 17, yeah. so a lot of time in between yeah. that, but I think by the end of this series, we're going to look back and there's going to be a lot of overlap, like overlapping themes, whereas, you know, you have this story and this story reaches the peak. And I, I felt very satisfied from both. I thought Endgame was excellent. And, and man, like I said, by the end of Game of Thrones last night, I was just done. I, was, I, just, I needed some time to put my thoughts together because they were just all over the map. Jessel? Um, it's not, or... not even close. Not even close. Endgame for sure was yeah. so much better than this episode. And, and I, <laughs> it's because you I, can I see have... everything. You can yeah, see everything. Like, no, in but, <laughs> but not, not. Well, yeah, it's true. But not even just that. I actually just think, if I'm honest, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I, I said I'd come to it. For me, I don't think this was the best episode. It could have been. It. It was. It was perfectly good. Um, and. Like especially the last half an hour, I think was really good, and I loved it. But that first fifty minutes, not just for the lighting and all that kind of stuff, but generally, there are certain things that I wasn't that much of a fan of. And maybe I just built it up in my head too much. I was really looking yeah, forward to I think it. Everybody did, which I, I normally don't do that. I usually kind of dampen my expectations. Um, but Endgame, I mean, you can listen to our podcast on that. Yeah. Uh, see, no spoilers or anything, but I thought that was brilliant, like almost flawless, frankly. Yeah, I, I um, do think Endgame takes the. Um takes the win on this between this episode and that overall game of thrones still got three game three episodes to take the take the better thing which you know which one was better in terms of but i, I think you can't compare really a tv show to him but it was just more fun which one you like the most but i think end game like we said in the pod go and listen to it once you watch the movie you won't spoil it um there was a spoiler attempt by scott i'm gonna re- it's, it has oh, been removed I, I it has up. been removed it has been removed no there's still spoils so i will it has All been right. removed don't worry but you can um, use the time stone to rewind it and just I, remove it yeah i am i'm going to re- i am going to do the time stone is going to rewind and remove that but yeah um it was it's it's a fantastic movie go and watch it if you have watched all 21 movies I'm telling you now, for the Marvel, the MCU nerd, this is as good as it's ever gonna get, in my opinion. I don't think they could nail something like this. It's never gonna be done again, either, I don't think. The 22 movie arc thing, it's just, wow, what a way to finish it. Honestly, what a way. Um, yes, anyway, thank you so much for covering this special episode uh, of Game of Thrones with me. The long night. It's been a long night on the show as well. So thank you once again, Jessel. Thank you once again, Scott. We'll be back soon. Um, if you want to follow the Buzz podcast, you can at Buzz underscore podcast on Twitter. Please do. Please do tweet us. Give us a follow as well if you're listening. Uh, we would appreciate you trying to grow the account as well. Uh, guys, do you have anything to plug before we go? Uh, no, not really. No? I'm just, I'm just so blessed. I think we're blessed to live in this time with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Game of Thrones ending in the same time. I just think it's just been a phenomenal decade, and it's just grown and grown. And I'm actually going to be pretty sad when, when it's all finished. To be honest, like we've got three weeks to the day until Game of Thrones finishes, and um, I think it's the end of an era. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, anything to plug, my friend? Well, I wrote a recap for season two last week. It's up on the site, so check that out. I'm probably going to write a little recap uh, this week. Uh, tease it. It'll probably be about you know just 
how people thought about, well, should it end with the white walkers or should the white walkers have kept going? So I'll probably do something on that. And yeah, like Jessel said, it is an end of an era. It feels sad that our, our friends are all leaving, but you know, there's going to be more Thrones, there's going to be more Marvel, and we'll still have things like Star Wars and Stranger Things. So the, the best is still to come, but man, it's, it's really reaching a peak and it's been a fun week to really, you know, get into pop culture and there's no better time to be listening to buzz podcasts. Absolutely. Now, if Liverpool could go beat Barcelona, it would be a lovely week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We will catch you next week. 100% will be there. Might even be another Endgame podcast. We'll see. But enjoy your week, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you later. <laughs>